You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Morning, church. It's good. All right. It's always a privilege to be up here. And I'll lie to you if I said if it wasn't just an honor, it's as nerve-wracking as it is as well. But it's good to be here this morning. I'm sharing the Word of God, and as Pastor Trevor aptly puts it every time he's up here, I've got nothing for you that isn't in the Bible, right? And our theme for the summer, as Pastor Michael explained, is we're focusing on the fruits of the Spirit. And this morning, it's... It's an honor for me to speak about joy, right? Um, True Christian joy is a privilege, but as much as it's a privilege, it's a duty. And as we'll find out here and as we should know and as we want to know is that only Christians, only Christians have a reason to truly be joyful. And I'll go into the... Uh, dictionary explanation of joy, and it says here, joy is the emotion of great delight or happiness caused by something exceptionally good or something satisfying. So in your life, in my life, what is that emotion? What is that thing? What is that person that brings you that satisfaction, that brings you that delight, that brings you that happiness that fills you up? What is that event now, if that person, if that thing, if that event, if that feeling is rooted in the spirit, if it's rooted in the scripture, if it's rooted in your salvation, then we're good. That's true joy. But if it's not, if it's in self, if it's in ungratefulness, if it's in material possessions, if it's in your accolades, in the things that you strive to, your job, your profession, your house. That's not true joy. See, the world bombards us daily with messages of materialism and comparison and commercials and infomercials, leading us to think that we have to be on this new diet, you know, to lose weight, and that will lead you to find joy and happiness. You know, there's this fitness thing that you have to get on and you know there's a new car you have to purchase that will bring you happiness that will bring you joy but this is all fleeting we're constantly overstimulated daily and told what is good for you what is good for your children and nine times out of ten none of that is rooted in the scripture none of that is rooted in the bible and those external things and those things we're seeing, those commercials, those infomercials, they're going to bring you joy, but those, that joy is going to be fleeting. We're talking about the joy that's everlasting. And as Christians, that everlasting joy is only from God. We can only find that in our scripture. We can only find that in the Bible. You can only find that when you have faith, trust in God. The key, of the, the, the key to the fruit of the Spirit is, is connected to the root. And that root is Jesus. Jesus is our foundation. 
We are all part of the vine, and he's the husbandman. And we understand that as Christians. And we all understand that, you know, you can't plant an apple seed and hope to harvest a mango fruit. That's impossible. And when we think about the joy that we strive for, we understand there's a battle for it. We've got to fight for this joy just like we fight for our faith. In that battle, we have Jesus that has won the battle for us. But while we're here on this earth, we're constantly in that battle. And as you fight that battle, what is your faith rooted in? What is your foundation rooted in? Right? If it's rooted in Jesus, then you have all the tools to win the battle. And I'm excited. It was, it was really challenging for me going through this, 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 this sermon here because as Christians, we have this notion that we're supposed to be happy. But we, as we're going to find that joy cannot be mustered up, true joy cannot be faked, cannot be made up. If it's coming from your heart, it's, it's going to protrude. And as we read and as we pray, I'm just, my hope here is that we're going to leave this morning understanding what the expectation is of us as Christians when it pertains joy, the fruit of the Spirit. But before we do that, let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, we come humbly before you, Lord, and just ask that as we look into your word, that your word would bring and show light onto our path. And then just me up here, I'm just a, just a regular dude, and just ask for your wisdom. And as we go through this together, that we're going to leave this place understanding that true joy only comes from you and is in you. And we ask and pray this in your name. Amen. We're going to read from Philippians 4, verse 4. And if anyone is in the crowd without a Bible, just put your hands up. Our ushers would be gracious to walk past and hand the Bible over to you. And we can turn to the Bible together. Philippians 4, verse 4. And I read, and it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Short and sweet. And as followers of Christ, we're called here to embrace joy as an integral part of our lives. See, the context of Philippians here is Paul was in the worst of the worst places, in a prison cell. And his focus here was not his situation or his circumstance. His focus here was regardless of this, rejoice. So biblical joy is rooted in grace. Biblical joy is rooted in Christ, no matter what the circumstances is. We're going to hear this word circumstances a lot today. And the responsibility of every Christian, every believer, is to have joy in nothing else but the promise and the sovereignty of God. So here's the thing. We know Jesus was born a man. He walked this earth. He was crucified. He was tried. And he died. And he was buried. And he rose on the third day. And he's ascended into heaven and is seated in the right hand of God, interceding for you and me. That's the foundation. We believe that we have salvation. We confess that we have salvation. And so our biblical joy is rooted in our confession of that. Because once you have salvation, then you're given the grace. 
So our joy is rooted in grace, regardless of the circumstances. And the sovereignty of God. Paul's focus here was for us as Christians to turn our focus on joy. That's hard to do. But Paul did it here in worse situations than some of us are ever going to find ourselves in. Regardless of the circumstance you're facing this morning in your life, in your journey, we have a commandment, as it says here, to rejoice in the Lord. Not in your material possessions, not in your academics, in the Lord. That's the only place you can rejoice in. And we're going to explore the constant battle for joy. We're also going to explore the indispensable role of the Holy Spirit. And ultimately, the reason we should have this joy is the ultimate victory we have through the cross. Joy is not merely this fleeting emotion, but it's a profound state of being that flows from our relationship with God. And having joy is... It's an experience of being a Christian, true joy. But that said, we live in a world that's perverse. We live in a world where we know this, tribulations are going to abound. We're going to face trials. We're going to be tempted. We're going to be tried. We're going to lose people. We're going to lose our positions. We're going to gain things. But regardless of that, we understand because we're here in this world, the trials and the tribulations, that's the reason we have the battle for joy. And it's, and it's an accurate statement and this battle requires your participation, requires my participation as well. You know, James 1, 2, 2 and 4, we're encouraged to consider it pure joy when we face trials. It seems counterintuitive when you're in front of something difficult to rejoice. But again, we go back. We know Jesus walked this earth. He was born a man. He was crucified. He was buried, and he rose on the third day, and he ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God, interceding for you and I. We have this hope. We know this. So it should be counterintuitive for us to rejoice in the face of trials. This should be a natural reaction for us as Christians, because our faith, our life is rooted in Jesus, who is our foundation. Our joy, our faith is rooted in our relationship with him. And the, the goal of the enemy is to steal, kill, and destroy. We know that. And he'll do that through the trials, through the tribulations, through the circumstances that we come across in life. But through it all, we are called, you and I as Christians, are called to choose joy, to fight for joy, to battle for joy. Paul the Apostle overcame and went through different trials and hardships. And he challenged us here in Philippians 4, verse 4, to choose joy, to rejoice in the Lord. The cultural relevance of joy is that it's the fruit of the Spirit. And there's a reason we're told about it in Galatians. Because it's a natural reaction it's a natural result of having received salvation. That's joy. And the joy we are to choose is on the account of what Christ has done for us. And that's regardless of where we face, of where we are, 
of what's in front of us, of what's around us, we are called to choose joy. John W. Sanderson wrote that as a Christian, it's practical atheism for anyone who professes to be a Christian to wear gloomy countenance, for it ignores the attributes of God. It's practical atheism for any individual who professes to be a Christian to wear a gloomy countenance. And why is that? Because it ignores the sovereignty of God, it ignores God's attributes. So joy is a must, and the stakes are high. A heart that won't rejoice in Christ doesn't know him. It's very simple. A heart that won't rejoice in the face of trials and tribulations doesn't know Christ and doesn't know and trust in the power of his resurrection. Because we know the battle has been won. The battle is over. He's conquered sin. He's conquered death. So if you believe and you're grounded in the root, your salvation is in Jesus, is in Christ, then you're supposed to have this joy, this eternal joy. The purpose of joy in our lives is to glorify God by demonstrating to the unbelieving world that our loving and heavenly Father cares for us and it provides all that we need. And we believe this because we study the word. We believe this because our salvation is firm. Our salvation is true. Our trust and our root of our salvation is Jesus. We spend time in prayer. We spend time in our devotion. We spend time hanging around fellow believers, like-minded individuals. And we believe in our salvation that we receive because, again, we know that Jesus was born a man and walked this earth He was crucified, he was trialed, and he died. And he rose on the third day, and he ascended into heaven. And he's seated at the right hand of God, interceding for you and I. We believe this. We believe that we received our victory through that process. And so now, it's the natural reaction is to have joy. Because no matter the circumstance, the faces in front of you was not as big or to the level of the trial and the crucifixion of Christ. So we have no inbuilt excuses to choose joy. Another thing that we have no reason to do as Christians is comparison. One of the greatest hindrances to joy is comparison. And the presence of sin in our lives leads to ungratefulness, and the ungratefulness leads to us comparing ourselves to others. In 2 Corinthians 10, verse 12, Paul the Apostle cushions our believers and us, you and I, against comparison because it leads to dissatisfaction, and dissatisfaction steals our joy. Now, we've often heard the saying, comparison is a thief of joy. Let's rewrite that this morning. So let's say this, an ungrateful heart rooted in self leads to comparison, which is a thief of joy. An ungrateful heart is rooted in ourself and our selfishness, is rooted in us not believing in the strength of the sovereignty of God, leads to comparison, which is then the thief of our joy. It's only when we're not rooted in the spirit 
do we find ungratefulness start to creep in and takes over? And we've got people that are our neighbors, our friends, our family members, who on the outside look like they're doing way better than us. And then we have this joy that we receive, but the minute you start comparing yourself to others, the minute you become ungrateful for what God has done for you, for where he's put you, the position you're in, because you're there for a reason if you believe in God, then you start comparing yourself. And then the saying, the comparison, the thief of joy becomes true in your life. And we know we're in this battle for joy, so why compare ourselves? It's hard enough having joy. It's hard enough understanding that we need to be joyful as Christians, as believers. But then our heart becomes ungrateful, and that leads us to comparison, and then our joy gets stolen. So when we speak about this battle, it's a real battle that we face, that you and I face, and that's every day. Another thing that robs us of our joy is entitlement. I deserve this because I work for it. I've earned it. We get entitled in things. And our rubs us of our joy. And the world is filled with entitlement. You know, the Gen Z calls the millennials entitled folks. And I don't know who's above the Gen Z. I'm not that, I'm not that old just yet. But, and then we have this comparison. And we're entitled. And that fills our hearts so quickly that we forget that as Christians, we're supposed to express joy and gratitude and happiness. We start comparing ourselves. I'm entitled to that. I've worked hard for this. I should have that. Why does she have that? Why does he have that? It should be me. This rubs us of our joy. And you see, a lot of us do this without even thinking of the broader picture. Because the minute you get in that mode and your mind is in that mode, the spirit of the Lord is not with you. And the spirit of ungratefulness creeps in. And you start comparing yourself. You become entitled and your joy is stolen. Because we know the enemy is here to steal, to kill, and destroy. And is always lurking. In Nehemiah 8 verse 10, we see that it says, the joy of the Lord is your strength. And we think about that. So we understand that it's an expectation of us as Christians that life is not going to be easy. It's not going to be a bed of roses. We understand we're going to face some hard trials. We understand we're going to go through some hard stuff. And when you go through that, sometimes you have no strength of your own to fight, to keep going, right? That's why we need the body of Christ around us. But we also see here in Nehemiah that the joy of the Lord is our strength. So if you've got the joy of the Lord in your life, you have strength to persevere. You have strength to overcome. You have strength to keep going. Joy was a key note in the scriptures in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and as the commandment was to the children of Israel to rejoice in the Lord, we are also commanded the same, to rejoice in the Lord and delight in his love, delight in his compassion, in his presence. Same application today. And if the grace of God has saved you and saved you, and you believe that Jesus was born a man, and he walked this earth, he was tried, he was crucified, he died, he was buried, and he rose up on the third day and he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God interceding for you and I. If you believe this, then your life should reflect the joy of the Lord. 
in all circumstances. We've also all heard the saying that laughter is the best medicine. The funny thing about that, it was it's coined from Proverbs 17, verse 22, where it says, A merry heart does the spirit, the soul, and the body good, like medicine. You can't have a merry heart if you're not joyful. So to experience joy and victory in our battle for joy, we're called first to die to sin, to die to self. And embrace that regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what we may face, our assurance is in Christ. And that assurance is that God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. And he's won the battle on our behalf. It is in that fact, it is in that truth that our joy must be rooted in. A merry heart does the spirit, the soul, and the body good. This wasn't speaking to unbelievers. This was being spoken to Christians, to believers. It's the same message for us today. We can't have a merry heart if it's tied into the things of this world. You can't have a merry heart if it's tied to material possessions. Those are fleeting. Those are here before a minute, for a moment. It has to be rooted in Christ. It has to be rooted in our foundation, which is Jesus Christ. Let's look at the role of the Holy Spirit, the indispensable role of the Holy Spirit. As we fight this battle for joy, we're not left alone. We have our comforter. The third person of the Trinity is our helper, our advocate. And he empowers us to experience true and lasting joy. That word again, regardless of our circumstances. And as we surrender to the work of the Spirit, we can bear this fruit called joy. And that joy should be and will be and is to be from a deep, abiding relationship with God. There's no power of positive thinking. There's no power of, you know, there's this thing of uh, visualizing something and speaking it into existence. There's no power that we can do that. There's no scientific experiment that could be done for us to conjure up this true and lasting joy that we speak of. Cannot be faked. Cannot be manipulated. But true joy is the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit in us. And true joy characterizes the people of God. In the ESV translation, the word joy, rejoice, appears 430 times. We got 365 days in a year. So that means true joy is rooted in Christ. It's expected of us. And only that true joy is lasting and it satisfies the heart uniquely and marvelously. Galatians 5.22 tells us that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So the source of our joy is from the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The third trinity is rooted in God. It's not something that we can come up with. It's not something that we can create. There's no pill, there's no magic potion that can create that true joy. So we need to yield to the presence of God in us. We need to yield to the Holy Spirit, and he will produce our joy in our lives in the middle of 
whatever circumstances. The Holy Spirit energizes our mind, our body, and our soul. And true joy satisfies in a way that nothing else can. If you believe, joy is a delightful confidence in the triune God who's orchestrated, accomplished, and applied our salvation. So Jesus was born a man, walked the earth, was crucified, he was tried. He's dead. He was buried. And he rose on the third day and is ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God interceding for you and I. We believe that we apply that salvation. The Holy Spirit will comfort us and lead us to that true joy. When you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit takes control and takes residence in you. And is guiding you and is comforting you and is directing your path and is empowering you. The Holy Spirit also helps us in the fight and the constant battle for joy. And the victory we know is assured because we believe our foundation as Christians is rooted in Christ. That's the source of our joy. The Holy Spirit is also a comforter in sorrow. In John 16, verse 22, we see that the disciples were told, and Jesus promised them, that their joy, their sorrow, will turn into joy when he sent the Holy Spirit to them. And we believe, once you confess and you're saved, we understand that the Holy Spirit will be sent to you to comfort, to guide, to lead, to direct, and to aid in this fight for battle and this battle for joy. So likewise, when we face hardships, when we face loss or heartbreak, the Holy Spirit provides comfort and sustains us with hope that the joy we have is assured and will return. And we have this faith, obviously, you and I know, that on the day when the rapture sounds, if we're alive to then, we're going to be reunited with our maker and if you get called before then, our faith is we're going to be reunited with our maker. That's the joy we should have. It should be everlasting. Because regardless of what's in front of us, the battle is won. We have the victory. There's no circumstance in front of you and I that is bigger than what our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ faced. There's no temptation. There's no circumstance, no situation. The Holy Spirit enables us to navigate through the darkest valleys and reminding us that eternal joy, we can have that here on earth, but is also in heaven if we believe, if we're steadfast, dedicated in our devotion, in the scripture. We make time to spend with those that share the same faith as us. And we're encouraged. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And we can have joy even as we suffer and suffer and we're faced with many difficult situations. See, a lot of times people might see an individual on the outside and just always think that this person's life is so perfect and things just go so well for them. Every one of us here faces battles. 
Every one of us here has faced trials, will face trials and tribulations. And some of us, your trial and tribulations has never been recorded in the present day. Still ahead of you. But we know here, we have this confidence that the Holy Spirit is in us because our faith is rooted, our salvation is rooted in the foundation, which is Jesus. We're commanded to rejoice and be glad regardless of our circumstance. Can I get personal with you guys for a bit? Yeah? Thank you. <laughs> so it's, it's 2016. And we find out we're having a baby. Yeah? We're having a son. And every man in here, we never admit it openly, but you always want a son. Right? And I had a daughter first, so I was hoping for my son. And we find out we're having a son, and we're excited, you know, over the moon. And so we go for the 20-week ultrasound, and the ultrasound was a little fuzzy. See, I, I was there for the first one. I was there for everything. And I recommend it for the young men who are not married. Be there for everything. I was there for everything, so I knew what the ultrasound looked like normally. But the second one, the second ultrasound looked a little different. It's just, just a little off. And so we got recommended to go see... Uh, Specialist. And so, reference, we lived in Waterloo at the time. And the specialist is at Sick Kids in Toronto. You know, usually there you point that in your Apple Maps, it's about two hours, 30 minutes, you know. But there's no good days on the 401, right? <laughs> no good days. And so that, that trip will take us like four or five hours if you got cut in rush hour traffic. So we had our meetings at 11 in the morning, and I would get, we'd get up and leave at 4.30 in the morning just to make it in time to be there for 11. And we did that from 20 weeks on till full term. That's a lot of driving. You know, and I drove a stick shift, so I got really good at it. You know, <laughs> really good. And then we would have our plan where we'll get the go station. Okay, we're going to hit that go station. All right, we're going to use the restroom. And we're going to get back, pick our Tim Hortons up. We're going to hit the road. We'll get there in time, find parking, walk up, hit our appointments. We did that for 20 weeks up until full term. And then we go in. We have our son, right? Oh, I didn't tell you what the issue was. Nobody asked me. But <laughs> at the most, one of the most complicated heart defects, like one in a million, something like that. And at the 20-week ultrasound, we got told, you know what, it's not going to make it. Just terminate. It's easier. The process is going to be tedious for you guys. And, you know, it's, it's good for husbands and wives to be telepathically connected. And I think Casey and I had that connection. And we didn't have to look at each other to say no. We almost kind of said it simultaneously, say, yeah, no, we're, we're going to continue. They kind of looked at us like we're crazy because there's only one surgeon that does the surgery, the sick kids. And we didn't know if it's going to be in Canada at the time, this and the third. And we're kind of going back and forth. No, we're going to continue. We'll do the drive. I like driving. Not really. But, yeah, we'll do it, right? And so we did it. And we continued this journey. And we go in. We have my son. A lot of complications. He's intubated, hooked under a feeding pipe, feeding tube. And we're going through his injections. There's this, there's that. There's ups and downs. And then we go back home three weeks later after birth. But we have this visit to the sick kids every second week. Again, I lived in Waterloo. We leave at 4.30 in the morning just to make sure we got there in time for our 11 o'clock appointments. 
three weeks in, four weeks, five weeks, six weeks, seven weeks, eight weeks. And you start, you start losing track of weeks, and we start going by months, two months, three months, four months, five months. And then we hit nine months, and they brought us in and said, you know what, Mr. and Mrs. Okafor, you know, your son has made some progress, but, you know, we think to elongate his life that we might need to do the surgery now. Again, we're like, you know, we prayed about it. We're, we, we just trust God, you know. Go ahead. We, you guys are the professionals. You know, we're just the parents. And you know one thing about the, the system here is you can't, you, you, you have your kid, but it's not really your kid because if you refuse, that kid could be taken away from you. So we're, we're kind of stuck in this, in this legality and, and, and this wrath, right? But we go ahead with the surgery. His chest gets cut open. They do the surgery. It wasn't a success. Just be honest. We had one good day and then three bad weeks, you know, then another good day and then two bad weeks. So ultimately, we go in nine months in, and, it, you know, we thought we'd be at an Airbnb, so we booked it, and we're paying a ridiculous amount of money, and then we ended up finding out there was a Ronald McDonald house close to the hospital, so we ended up staying there, love them, right? But we were there for three months, so our life was at a standstill. It was paused. It was focus on my son. Some good days, some not so good days. So we have Labor Day coming up on the weekend. It's a weekend of Labor Day. And we've gone through surgeries and injections. And he's got weaned of some medication. He's put on some other medication. I just, we just wanted to go home, <laughs> you know? And we had 12 injections that we had to put in. This one at this time, I would put it all in my calendar. My alarm was like, we got it. We're good. Let's go. We're ready to go home, right? And so they tell us on a Friday, because it's good to go home. You cleared we're excited. We're joyful. We get to go home, right? And so, sitting there watching the TV, and my son goes into cardiac arrest on the night that we got Claire to go home. So, if we had taken that trip, it would have been crazy in the 401, stuck in traffic, and we decided to stay home. We can't, we'll take the trip in the morning, right? We'll say goodbye to some of the friends, the lovely folks that we met at the Ronald McDonald House that were going through really, really difficult times. And so we stayed the night. But that night, three, four hours after clearance, my son goes into cardiac arrest. And we get rushed back to the special room, right? And 45 minutes later, he goes into the second one. And this one, he was gone for a little while. One good. We're still hopeful. Yeah, back into the surgery, back into whatever. But at that time, they had the surgeons coming in and rushing to a surprise. We just we asked you guys to go home. What are you still doing here? We said, we just wanted to stay tonight and pick the journey tomorrow. And, well, it's a good thing you're here. We're going to get through this. You guys are going to be good. Well, we were not good. We ended up being there for another two weeks. And at this time, he was put in an ECMO machine. And the ECMO machine is basically everything is kind of shut off, but this is just pumping, you know, your vital organs just to see if you had a chance to survive. Wasn't looking good. And they pulled us in on a faithful day and said, Mr. and Mrs. Okafor, I hate to inform you guys, we've tried everything. We've got the top surgeon here. We've got the top, the best in the world. Just can't, there's nothing else we can do. We're, we're going to have to pull the plug. And so they pulled the plug. And if you know me, I'm a little darker. And my wife is white. She's in the corner over there. So my kids are really, really, really almost white. You know, I didn't, I didn't win in that melanin department with my children. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping as they get older, they, they darken a little bit. So you have this almost white-looking kid with my hair, and then he turns blue in an instant. 
Life is gone. And you as a parent, you're broken. I'm a big football player. I can run through linebackers, speed of light. I can do that, I can pick up a blitz, do whatever I need to do. But in that instant, I was just nothing. I was weak, I was, I was, I was broken. I had nothing, I had no strength. But we always prayed. Just always remembered the joy of the Lord is our strength. And that was our hope. That's what we held on to, right? And we held on to the fact that on, on the day that we get reunited in heaven, we're going to see our son again. That was our faith. That was our hope. In that, the worst of the worst. I mean, no parent should bury a child, you know? I was 27 at the time. That's not normal. But here we are, right, at the behest of all the specialists in, in the OR room and all the lights and in the life of our son. And so we end up going back to Waterloo with an empty car seat. That's tough. And we have to explain to his sister, your brother isn't coming home. And we have to call our family all over the world and let them know, yeah, can't send you any more pictures. The last one I sent you was the last one I had. So when we talk about as Christians and we say we're going to face difficult times, we're going to face challenges, we're going to be tried, sometimes you're going to be broken, you have no strength, you have nothing. Just remember the joy of the Lord is your strength. We have the Holy Spirit with us to guide, to lead, to direct. That's what you and I have to face in this life. And you might say, we got to have been in worse situations than I've been. Thank you for allowing me to be personal and share my story. But it's the truth, right? We have the Holy Spirit to guide us, to lead us, to direct us. And God intends that every one of his children shows and exhibits the fruit of joy. The final here is the victory on the cross. The ultimate source of our joy, the ultimate source of our happiness that we should rejoice in was secured on the cross. Jesus, again, was born a man, right? I've said this a few times, right? Walked this earth, was crucified, he was tried, he was buried because he was dead. But he rose on the third day and he ascended into heaven. And he's seated at the right hand of God, interceding for you and I. That's the victory that we have. It's on the cross. But the Holy Spirit is there for us. We have the scripture. We can pray. We can read the Bible. But their ultimate victory is on the cross. So why are you not joyful? Romans 5.11 says that we're reminded that through Jesus Christ, we have reconciliation with God. And only in God, only in him can we find true joy. The forgiveness of our sins should bring immeasurable joy to you. As it does in heaven, we know that when one sinner is saved, there's ultimate joy in heaven over the life of one sinner being saved. That's the joy that should emanate from you and I once we have our salvation. We're to embrace the gift of our salvation as we enter this personal relationship with Christ, we become partakers of this joy. It should be easy, right? But we also understand there's a battle attached to it. But we know that we have the Holy Spirit to fight that battle. So we have all the resources. It's just on us to do the work, have faith, trust in God. Our victory is sure.
And as Pastor Ray spoke last week, we have a guarantee that if we keep the commandments and abide in God's love, that we have a guarantee that our joy will be complete. It's John 15, 1, 11. The battle for joy is real, but as followers of Jesus Christ, we are sure that that battle is won and our joy is secure. It's guaranteed. Optimism cannot be faked. Joy cannot be faked, cannot be mustered up, cannot be created an appeal and a potion and a therapy session. Can only be found in Christ. Can only be found with the help of the Holy Spirit. The constant battle is fought for you and I with the help of the Holy Spirit, and we know that God wins. God has won. The battle is over. The victory is already done through the cross, and the joy of our salvation is both our present reality and ultimately our eternal hope. So that you and I embrace that truth. Let us cling to the promises of God. True joy is not in anything outside of our control, but a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Let us cling to that promise. And let us allow the joy of the Lord to be our strength, to be your strength. For that word again, regardless of the circumstances. Because we're going to have them. And maybe one day you're going to be up here sharing yours. And I hope you remember my story to think it was bad. But we had the joy of the Lord as our strength. And so we persevered. We trusted in God. Is rooted in God. Our salvation is rooted in the scriptures. Our salvation is rooted in the fact that Jesus has won the battle. And so we have joy here on earth, but we're looking forward to our eternal joy in heaven. And I hope you take something home with you today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the opportunity that we do have, Lord, to just listen to your word. And I just thank you for the the wisdom that is in your word and the promises that are in your word, Lord. And we just ask and pray that we would see for ourselves that the joy of the Lord is our strength and that we would lean into the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what we may face that we will lean on you, Lord, and that your joy will be full in our hearts, in our lives, and that those in the world will see that the Lord is good. We ask and pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.